that centers in on the mental as well as the physical side of sports and coaching. T.K. Griffith and Scott Matthew Callahan are your hosts, and between them, they bring over 50 years of coaching experience to the table with success in both boys' and girls' athletics. Their expertise comes from the locker room, the classroom, and their living room. Now, the Teacher Coach with TK and Scott. Welcome to the Teacher Coach Podcast here at Brook Point Studios in beautiful Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. I am TK Griffith with my co-host Scott Matthew Callahan. We are blessed and lucky today to have with us an AP science teacher, um, a classroom high school science teacher from Chagrin Falls, uh, Ohio, Brittany Anderson, who's also a head basketball coach. So obviously, uh, Brittany fits into the teacher-coach modality here that we speak of. Um, Brittany, I know you listened to one of our podcasts already, so I'm going to shorten up my beginning here. But Scott and I truly believe in the teacher-coach model, um, especially, I guess, literally in the way that somebody would be in a core academic course during the day with their students and then go on to the field or the um, gymnasium, wherever they might go to, for a co-curricular, be that sports or theater, etc. So um, I guess I just want to ask you to get started. You know, can you tell us a little bit about how that fits into who you are? Um, well, I've just finished technically, I guess, with online learning, my 12th year of teaching at Chagrin. Okay. Um, 10 of those years, um, I've been the head varsity girls basketball coach. Wow. Um, six of them, an assistant um, track coach, coaching, shot put and discus. Okay. Um, and then I did spend a season um, coaching volleyball and two seasons coaching softball. Okay. Wow. Um, so what <laughs> I've been doing at Chagrin is just a little bit of everything, um, any way that I can get involved um, right. in what my students are doing um, and showing passion for um, what they truly care about. Yeah. Um, so I started out um, like – pre-med going that route Mm -hmm. um, and switched to education about halfway through my sophomore year of college um, because this was something I felt like I could help students figure out what they wanted to pursue and what they wanted to do. So um, teaching and coaching, you guys know every day is different. Um, And um, that's what I love most about it is that it's always something different. Brittany, I mean, do you feel like this was your calling or do you feel like it's something you fell into and then became good at it? Like, how did, how did it transpire? Um, I think that this is my calling, but I think that I found it in a little different way than everybody else. Yeah. Um, my dad's an orthopedic surgeon mm-hmm. um, in sports medicine, so always been around athletics and always been around medicine okay. um, and something I was always interested in. And I distinctly remember, and I tell my students this all the time, um, sitting in the AP bio classroom my senior year and looking around at some of the kids goofing off and thinking, <laughs> I could never do this. Like, I'm not going to put up with this ever. Right. Like, I'm so glad, you know, I'm going to be done with it. Right. Um, and then got through about halfway through sophomore year of college and then suddenly realized, as corny as it sounds, like, I might be able to help more people by right. going into education yeah. instead of being a Right. Um, and don't get me wrong, I have respect for yeah. you know what my dad does and what people do in the medical field every day. Um, right. But I just, I saw a different angle for myself and yeah. saw something that I wanted to pursue. Right. Britt, you said you were pre-med originally at Grove City and your dad mm-hmm. was a surgeon. Um, when you made the decision to go into education, did anyone kind of in the peripheral of your life try to discourage you from quote unquote wasting your talent? 
Yeah, there was a lot of pushback that I got, um, especially from people back in Chagrin, um, where I you know, went to high school. Um, some teachers were really supportive, and then there were others that were just like, you know, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> the education right. is changing. It's not really what you think it is. And <laughs> um, felt like I was wasting a gift or wasting a talent. But um, I just kind of drowned that stuff out. Um, I felt like... But part of the reason why I would become a teacher is because I felt like the whole way through, while they're providing guidance, I felt like I just kind of got put into this narrow pathway mm-hmm. that this is what you should do. Right. And yeah. every step of the way, I was doing this should, 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 right. um, and really wasn't pursuing something that I was you know, interested in or passionate about. Um, right. So I felt like it was an opportunity for me to just kind of let that noise go and push forward with what I wanted to do for once. And then maybe be that advocate for my students in the future, you know, who wanted to pursue something other than what was expected of them. Yeah. Brittany, that, that had to take some courage because I think all of us feel a certain tug from expectations of what people might think we, we should do, um, or who we should become. Um, I mean, where did you get that courage or is that something you just always had? Or was that, was that a kind of a pivotal moment? I think that was a pivotal moment. Um, I am a bit of goody two shoes and rule follower and just kind of went along with this is what's supposed to happen. Finally, I felt like I was putting my foot down. This is what I want and this is what's going to be best for me. Right. Um, So while I felt like I was making the move because I help others, Mm -hmm. in a sense, it's kind of a selfish move for like the first time ever because. (laughs) pursuing something that was going to be best suited for me and not what others thought yeah. I should be doing. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, how how did your parents respond to that? Positively, yeah. Um, my dad would never say it to me, um, but I think he kind of knew that the field of medicine is a little cutthroat, just MCATs and trying to get into med school and applying for residency. And... Um, while I'm a competitive person, I am sensitive too, and I feel like um, there wasn't much collaboration there. And I think he saw that, that it wasn't necessarily going to be something that um, was going to be best suited for my personality. Um, so my parents are really supportive. Um, my mom started out in teaching um, before she had family, um, health and PE. So, um, you know, that's something that she pursued. And my older brother is a teacher as well. So um, it wasn't something that was completely out of left field. Right. So um, I don't want to belabor this, but I guess that that had to be liberating. Um, Then was the reality reality of it as liberating as the moment of it? You know what I mean? Um, No, because (laughs) um, going to um, a small college then, um, you're still... Like the secondary education, what people don't realize is you're still majoring in that content area. Mm-hmm. So I was still a biology major. Right. I'm still taking all the classes with the other pre-med students. Right. Um, plus, now I had to get the education classes on top of that. So I was yeah. taking about 18 credit hours a semester. Wow. So I'm like, I <laughs> don't know how I'm going to you know, get all this done. Um, yeah. So the workload um, was something that was you know, a little shocking yeah. um, to start things out. Right. Um, and then trying to follow through and find a job and figure out what you're going to do, um, mm-hmm. that was something you know, that kind of fell into my lap, thankfully. But 
Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to go back to Ohio? Or are you going to go south? Or are you going to move west? Like, what yeah. are you going to do? And how are you going to make ends meet? Then all right. of a sudden, it became this yeah. you know, economic decision of, <laughs> right. okay, I don't have a student debt from med school, yeah. but yeah. You know, how am I going to support myself? Right, right. So, yeah. um, Brittany, um, while you were at Grove City, are you also a student athlete at this point, or were you, ju- were, were you not playing sports anymore? Oh, I was still playing sports. Um, when I was at Chagrin, I did volleyball, basketball, and track. Mm-hmm. So um, all four of us kids, um, we were 12-sport athletes, as Chagrin calls it. So wow. three sports for four years. So right. Wow. Right. Um, just a very competitive and athletic family. Yeah. Um, and when I made the decision to go to Grove City, yeah. um, it was up there with um, Vanderbilt, wow. which wouldn't have competed in any sport sure. and just would have pursued um, my passion of medicine. Sure. So the schools I applied to were just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then once I got to Grove City, um, it, I decided, okay, I'm going to try to play volleyball, see if I make right. the team. Like, right. I didn't play Bayo or anything. Yeah. Make the team, yeah. then play basketball because I was recruited to do that. And I thought, right. well, <laughs> I can't do track. So I decided to <laughs> go out for the track team. Wow. Um, wow. And I ended up doing all three sports there. Man, that's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you know of anybody else who did three sports in, in college? I mean, that just seems unbelievable. Uh, thanks. Um, right now, no. Um, my, I'm tied for the record at Grove City with 11 varsity letters. So wow. there's one other that did yeah. it in the yeah. late 70s, like early yeah. 80s. When I was there, there weren't even really many two-sport athletes. Sure, um, sure. So kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I've been my basketball coach. There are quite right. a few more athletes now that are doing two sports. That's amazing. Brittany, I don't want to fast forward too much, but are you coaching many multi-sport athletes at Chagrin Falls right now? I know you're coaching track and basketball, but as the head basketball coach, how many of your varsity players play at least one other sport? The majority of them. Um, Great. And that's something that actually is pretty rare, uh-huh. um, but it's something that I'm a thousand percent supportive of. Sure. Um, I'm a really big believer in when you're in season, you are in season. So right. if you're in the fall season, you are right. playing your fall sport, period. Yeah. So if you get to winter season, if you're playing basketball, that's your commitment, right. and so on and so forth. And then yeah. over the summer, just trying to coordinate and be as flexible with the other coaches as possible so mm-hmm. people can go to those workouts or go to those summer leagues and right. try to make the most of that time. Right. Um, but I I know I see a lot at other high schools and Sometimes, I guess it's chagrin, depending on the coach, where, well, you have to play J.O. if you want to play at the next level, or you have to play AAU if you want to play at the next level. Right. And that's not the case. You can do right. it, but you're a multi-sport athlete. So I try yeah. to support as much as possible. Yeah. And, and when you were at Grove City, you were recruited to play basketball there. Did you feel as though because you had a fall and spring summer, from a skill development standpoint, you were that f- much far further behind than your teammates? Not at all. I think it helped me because I didn't have those overuse injuries. Right. Exactly. I wasn't constantly training and using the same muscles. Um, I right. didn't have mental exhaustion. Yeah. Right. Focusing on the same sport over and over and over again. You have those mental right. breaks. Right. Um, so preseason, like my first week coming into basketball was a little kind of right. muddy in comparison. Yeah. I've been you know, moving back and forth between the net and the 10-foot line in volleyball, and that was right, about it. Right, um, <laughs> But once you kind of get into gear and you start yeah. working on the plays, right. everything falls right back into place. Yeah. But 
Um, yeah. I think the mental aspect, though, is the biggest thing because you really yeah. do need you need that break and you need time to enjoy the sport. Right. And if, exactly. If, if it becomes a job where you're doing the same thing every single day, yeah. No wonder kids burn out. Yeah, absolutely. So there's so much I want to talk about, Brittany. But since we kind of went since we kind of went backwards on your journey, I guess I'll stay there. Um, just as a youngster and then as a high school athlete, I'm just curious um, who were some of the main influences in your life as far as people who you wanted to model your own coaching and teaching afterwards, e- either in the classroom or then on the field. Um, in addition to the fact of where were you with the birth order out of the four? Are you the first in the I'm, family? Or I'm the, the third of four. Okay. I'm the third of four. So um, we're spread out in a 10-year span. Mm-hmm. So um, my older sister graduated from Chagrin in 97. Okay. And then I have a brother, Derek, 2000. I yeah. graduated from Chagrin in 04. And then I have a younger brother, Tyler, who graduated at 07. Okay. So we span out. There's yeah. you know, a bit of space between us. Yeah. Um, but it gave me time to kind of see what they were doing and to kind right. of model after them. Yeah. Um, my sister um, started playing high school basketball when I was still in elementary school. Okay. And I was that annoying little kid who <laughs> just wanted to be just like her and right. probably in her hair like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to every basketball camp I could that um, – Frank Phillips had. He was the head coach at Chagrin at the time. Right. Um, went to all the games. Um, was excited when you get to be ball girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. Did all that. And um, all I wanted to do was play for Coach Phillips and to yeah. be able to impress him. And that yeah. was something as a second grader, wow. like I knew I wanted to do. Wow. Um, so learn from him. Um, just great basketball mind. Mm-hmm. Um, intense competitor. Yeah. Uh, he he pushed me. He pushed yeah. me to the limit. And yeah. um, knowing I'm a competitive person, right. there was some comparison between my sister and I, even though we didn't overlap in high school. Right. Um, and she has a thicker skin than I do, and it's yeah. tougher that way. I mean, I talked about the sensitivity thing yeah. earlier. Yeah. And it's something that just kind of chipped away at me. But right. like, right. felt that passion of, yeah, like, I'm going to do this, and whether it was. I felt like I had to prove it to myself or to prove it to him. Yeah. Um, that was a big factor, a big motivating factor for me to kind of push forward. Right. And it's funny because my AAU coach, um, Jerry Stukansky, um, he was a boys coach at Lakewood when okay. I played AAU with um, his daughter, um, but he coached with Coach Phillips at Ignatius <laughs> back years before. Wow. But it had this similar coaching style. So right. it was a very <laughs> um, aggressive approach. But right. Um, both of them focus so much on fundamentals and the yeah. mental team. Yeah. Um, so I try to incorporate as much of that into practices as possible because of Coach Phillips and Coach Dupiansky. Right. Uh, making sure that that's the majority of our practice time. So I model a bit after them. Okay. Um, and then I had um, my track coach in high school, Pat Weigel. Okay. Um, track is a different animal. It's a bit yeah. more relaxed and it's right. individual. Right. And I still had a lot of that head game coming off of basketball season and the mental part of it. And he would just try to get me to relax more. Right. Um, So we did focus, like, throwing is so much more than just strength. A lot of it is technique. So we focused a lot on that. Um, 
But then after it, it was like, okay, we're going to play discus golf. Like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And walk around the field and throw the discus, like, from spot to spot and, you know, create shots that are, like, part three or part four and just make it fun. And I think that was something that was important to me, too, not just coaching track but also coaching basketball. Okay, like, you can be hard and on them with fundamentally, like, one day, but you Mm -hmm. have to have that time for fun kind of thrown in there as well. Yeah. Um, I took two very different coaches and coaching styles and try to meld together as much as I can. Yeah, my daughter, Brittany, um, I have four kids as well, uh, about the same distance from each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And my daughter, who is the oldest, really enjoyed track because it was the first time all year long she could kind of just do a little of it by herself. And it was a different type of challenge. It's more of an individual challenge, but she loves team sports. But it was a it was a nice different break from the other sports because it was more of an individual challenge in your when you're running the 400 or the 100. So I kind of I feel you there. And Hoban had a great track coach as well, and Joe Lutz, who the girls love to be around as well. So I kind of always was jealous. I wish I coached track because uh, it just seems like something. <laughs> it seems like you can be a little bit more positive there, as far as uh, you know, you can get on them, but. It's just a different entity where there's not quite as much a drama, in my opinion. So um, what about in the classroom, Brittany? Anybody that that you wanted to kind of, I guess, model yourself after in the classroom in your experience? Yeah, my my teaching models, it's very um, different because I've got some role models from elementary school, and then I Mm -hmm. have some of them from high school. Right. Um, Elementary school... Um, back-to-back years in first and second grade. So I'm going way back. Yeah. Um, Diane Cantor for first grade and Jeff Williams for second grade. And two of the things that the, both of them really focused on was um, creative writing yeah. and reading. Wow. And having that autonomy to pursue whatever you want to write about, whatever right. you want to read about, um, and expanding that way and just giving us time to explore, I think, was something that was really important and something that was very formative. Yeah. Um, because I love to read and couldn't get enough of it. And they just kept giving me, you know, challenging books and things to do. And I think mm-hmm. it's really important to recognize in your students when there's something that they're passionate about that right. you continue to support that. So for somebody to foster that at such a young age, I think, was really important. Um, and then when I got to high school, it's kind of funny because half the department that I'm working with were my teachers when I was in high school. So <laughs> right. it's kind of funny to talk about like oh, your coworkers you just saw in a Zoom meeting last week. Um, right, right. Still that impact on you. Yeah. Uh, but um, currently, right now, I work with Matt Ritchie and Chris Deegan and Lisa Salyers, mm-hmm. who are all teachers of mine in the past. Yeah, that's um, cool. I also had um, Pat Weigel, who I mentioned before, and Bob right. first. Yeah. They really encouraged my passion for science. And right. we talked about kind of how some people um, maybe discouraged me from switching into education and going into the medical field. With them, that wasn't the case at all. Right. Um, when I needed observation hours in college, I was invited back into their classrooms with open arms and you know yeah. got to get my contact hours that way. Um, and they were just so supportive in their classrooms. Um, it was creative. It was fun. They came up with different labs for us to do. Right. Um, it wasn't something where you felt like someone was talking at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was somebody that was there to listen. Um, yeah. They weren't a parent. They weren't a friend. But you kind of had that combination yeah. um, of 
good experiences and support that you would get from those two support systems. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty neat to be able to come back there. And now in college, any of your coaches in college kind of, did you pick a few nuggets up from some of your college coaches at Grove City that you maybe incorporate today? Um, yeah, I had, um, there's a husband-wife duo that coaches at Grove City, um, Melissa Lammy and Steve Lammy. Um, Melissa Lammy was, or Mrs. Coach as we call her, <laughs> um, she was my basketball coach, mm-hmm. head coach the first two years I was there, okay. uh, freshman sophomore year. Okay. But she also coached soccer, wow. so they had to um, just stick with that after yeah. um, my first two years there. Um, but she had such a calm demeanor mm-hmm. um, and just let us play our game. Right. Um, so you would have an offense set up, um, right. preach defense day in and day out, but yeah. once the game started, you went with the flow of the game. And I really liked that because she wasn't a yeller. She wasn't right. somebody that sat on you. It was just right. Like, I'm going to put the combination of people out there that we need to have out there and just mm-hmm. go with it right. and just play. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, a really positive experience for yeah. me. Um, Mr. Coach was um, one of my track coaches. Um, okay. And then um, James Chin was another track coach that I had. And that's another, you know, duo that made it fun. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't so much like by the time I got to track season, like I knew I wasn't going to, you know, win conference or anything during javelin or whatever, but it was like, okay, try it. Like see right. what happens, see right. how it goes. Yeah. And just we're incredibly supportive. And, um, it was nice to have somebody who was like, that's okay. Right. You, know, you get after it next meet, you made progress. Maybe sure. it's not what you wanted to see. Right. Um, but it was nice to, um, have those people and to build those connections and still mm-hmm. you know, talk to them today. Um, and then I had Shelly Foos was an assistant coach all four years I was at Grove City and she's the current women's basketball coach. And I talked to her probably on a weekly basis. Wow. Um, and it's, she's somebody, um, she did at Geneva College basketball and softball and she was like wow. over a thousand points and yeah. she was great And yeah. somebody who relationship-wise, is a solid sounding board for me. Right. Um, and going to a Christian college to have someone that you can talk to about those life things and right. not just basketball. Yeah. Um, it's something that's reassuring. And I know, like, okay, if I had a bad game, like, I can text yeah. Coach Boost and talk yeah. to her about it and know, like, that that doesn't define me. Like, yeah. that doesn't my players that doesn't define like who we are as a program and right. it's something we're capable of bouncing back from so yeah. that's a really solid nice friendship for me to have right. today Brittany I know I've known Steve Lammy for about 35 years <laughs> and he's, oh, fun. <laughs> he's just one of the best guys in the world and he from he to me he's as solid a basketball coach as he is a guy and um, I actually watched his team upset Worcester Um, at the College of Worcester Mm -hmm. this past year in just a fantastic NCAA Division III basketball game. But um, even though you played for his wife, you were still coached by Steve in track a little bit. Um, What's something you picked up from Steve from a basketball standpoint? Um, Well, the funny thing is, like at Grove City, um, the way the conference is set up, the President's Athletic Conference, the, men and wi- the men's and women's teams travel together. So we would play at Westminster. You ride the bus with the men's team, and it'd be a doubleheader. And so you were constantly with the men's team. Um, and then practices, 
we were early, they were late, or vice versa. So you had this constant interaction and see how they operate on the uh, on the court. Um, he just he loves on his team. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't mean that it's always high fives and it's always hugs, but it is this genuine way of talking to them, way of teaching them, expressing where it is they need to be on the floor. That was one thing that always stood out to me was that he genuinely cares about those guys. And in track, I mean, it was the same thing. Like, he knew so much about us, like, as individuals and was able to bring us together collectively in an individual sport um, to care about us. And one of the things I took from that at Grove City, he always called us the throwing nation. (laughs) So, you know, we might have been out back way away from the track to throw discus or throw javelin, but we were cohesive. We were the throwing nation. And that's what I call my throwers at Chagrin now. We're the throwing <laughs> nation. So I, I love that about him, that he, he turns it into a family atmosphere. Right. Um, from a fundamental aspect or fundamental standpoint, um, his defense. Oh, I, I'm a defense coach. That's my bread and butter. I don't think a 40-point game in girls' basketball is boring. I know <laughs> other people are going to say you have to you know, be scoring more. But um, right. I love the way he broke down his defense drills. Yeah. And to see the instruction and to see how he could take it and piece it together to teach his players who, I mean, they're talented athletes. They're playing college basketball. But just breaking down just where their hands are going or the footwork, yeah. um, it truly is incredible to watch. And he's so patient with it, too. Um, so I, he, he is this, I, I'm so glad you know him because he's just a stand-up guy. I couldn't say enough you know, nice things about him. But um, he is. He's patient. He's caring. And that translates to his team. And they want to play for somebody like that, and they want to play well. Yeah. Brittany, is Steve the men's coach or the women's coach currently at Grove City? He is currently the men's coach. Okay. And he utilizes the same amount of patience and calmness on both sides, girls and boys? Yeah, because for track, I mean, you coach both the men's and women's together. We weren't sure. a separate women's throwing coach, separate right. men's throwing coach. Like, right. We were all yeah. um, in there. And, yeah. yeah. So um, he he was able to relate to all of his athletes. And yeah. He had a goofy sense of humor, and it just helps the light yeah. in the mood. And, right. Yeah, he's really relatable. Now, when you come to back to um, Chagrin Falls to start coaching, are you an assistant for a while for Coach Phillips, or how does that work out? So, Coach Phillips had retired um, while I was in college. Um, okay. His uh, younger son, Matt, played on Grove City's men's team. So oh, wow. That's how I got looking at Grove City. Oh, okay. Um, and thought it was a good fit for me. Um, right. So, Matt and I were both there, like, two years ago over last. Okay. Um. So he had retired, so you could see Matt play some more. And um, Trish Cruzy, who's a Chagrin alum, she coached for a few seasons. And then Curtis Powell coached for a few after that. Okay. So when I came back to Chagrin, I was an assistant coach with Curtis for two years. Okay. And um, that was something that was a good learning experience for me. Um, Curtis was the varsity coach. Um, Jim Serluco was the JV girls coach. Yeah. And both of them had experience coaching boys primarily. Yeah. Um, so it was a different way of looking at the game than what I was used to um, right. as a player. Yeah. Uh, and seeing 
kind of a more aggressive offense, more aggressive approach, approach to the fast break. Right. Um, and that, I think, helps to diversify um, how I approach the game and being able to coach to my personnel a little better than just right. saying, this is what we're always going to do. Right. Um, but after two years, Curtis decided to start um, a family and wanted to spend more time with them. And I'm thinking, I'm only two years out of college. Like, I, right. should I really be applying for this? Is this something that I should do? And, right. um, like, it just kind of fell into place. And now, yeah. 10 years later, here I am. And wow. <laughs> so at it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I guess before we go away from Grove City, because I want to springboard off what you just said about 10 years now, um, was, was that a natural draw? I know people, um, Gro Grove City is conservative in, in the way that, um, not, not necessarily politically, but I think it probably is politically conservative. But I mean, I think it's a place where you go because it's a nice environment that, that's healthy and safe. Um, I think from what I understand, people. I had a couple friends that went there. I don't know if it's still like this. They, they had some pretty good rules um, and, and discipline, you know, where they kind of kept everybody uh, to, to, to different curfews and stuff like that. Was that attractive? Was the religious component of it attractive? Or was it just it just worked out? You know what I mean? I'm just curious. Is, yeah. is, any, is any of that true? Because I didn't go to Grove City, but I've heard some of those things. Yeah, I, um, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually emailed um, the current athletic director, Todd Gibson, who's yeah. an alum. I emailed him last week, and I told him, like, when I was an athlete there, there it felt like there was kind of the stigma of, oh, well, you're an athlete. That's why you're here. Yeah. It's Division three, you could play here. That's the right. only reason why you came. Right. Um, and he's done a really good job in building that program and um, showing people that, no, like, it's more than just being an athlete. It's more than the athletics. And, yeah. Uh, really helping to showcase all their different athletic programs. Right. Um, but it's, it wasn't necessarily – the rules I don't think really draw anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> um, I thought, yeah. But I do think um, – and it wasn't that I just went there for sports either because there were sure. other Division three schools that I looked at as sure. well, um, as well as some smaller Division one programs. But, right. Um, what I liked about it is that I felt like I could be myself. Yeah. Um, I think I very much believe that college is what you make it. And right. I tell my students that now, like, you can't just go to a certain school because someone expects you to. Right. Or that this is, you know, an Ivy League and that's, like, yeah. that's it academically without right. looking at an honors college somewhere else. Right. Um, college really is what you make it. Yeah. Uh, I felt like I would have the support system that I needed yeah. um, with my professors with my coaches, with my peers. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't just growing mentally and physically, but right. also spiritually. Yeah. Um, and to have some like-minded individuals with me, and, um, yeah. that that was something that was going to be helpful mm -hmm. as that support network. Right. Um, it is really conservative. Um, okay. Were there things that I had disagreements with people on? Yeah, absolutely. Right. But it leads to interesting discussion. Okay. Um, if you're open-minded, um, you get to listen to all those different viewpoints. Right. Um, so I wouldn't say that we were all the same. Got but it. having that similar approach to yeah. um, your beliefs right. helps. Sure. Um, and I think it made me, you know, stronger and a better person to kind of have yeah. that perspective and, yeah. you know, get to know all those different yeah. people. 
So speaking of being stronger uh, as a person, um, Scott and I have both been head coaches for a long time, and you ultimately get yourself into some situations where you have to grow as a person because you have to confront some things where people may or may not be either happy with what you've done um, or you have success and you have to learn how to handle success too, uh, but, but probably more importantly, failure. Because the majority of seasons, unless you're um, John Wooden, you know the majority of seasons are going to end with some sort of failure. So, you said you're competitive, but you also said you're sensitive, and you're you're in your young 20s, and you get a head coaching job. Um, you're at Chagrin Falls, which I don't know a ton about, but I'm assuming that there probably are some people who want excellence for their kids there. How did you navigate um, any choppy waters, or were there no choppy waters? You got to learn quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> You, um, you do have to learn how to let things roll off your back. Um, I think it's good being sensitive because then you realize, oh, shoot, you know, I really need to reevaluate my approach and really think about right. what I said or what I did or how I approached that situation. And yeah. um, you learn how to swallow your pride and say when you're wrong and apologize. And, right. um, you know, that's, you know, a lesson that you learn early yeah. on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, and a lot of it, when you start out, like, coaching young, it's that you're looked at being closer to age to your players than you are to the parents and being the adult in that situation. So right. you have to learn how to deal with um, people knowing better than you or talking down to you um, right. and be confident in your ability. Right. Um, I think the, you know, first two seasons that I had um, – the first year, I remember our superintendent at the time was like, you'll be lucky, you know, if you win like five games. And right. we were just under 500 that year. And yeah. um, there was there was a lot because we went from winning and graduating this, you know, great class to right. all of a sudden it's role players now that have to step up and do a lot of the scoring. Right. And how to approach that and to push them to get the most out of them right. while understanding that, well, basketball isn't really their first sport. Right. Or it's not something they're super passionate about. And, sure. And understanding that. Sure. Um, another thing, you know, those first two years is, um, like I said, learning how to be confident in your abilities. And, um, you know, we had the, like, film sisters come in, you know, mm -hmm. shortly after I took over. And yeah. um, just an absolutely outstanding career. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of college coaches watching them the whole time. And right. AAU coaches right, and um, their teammates and knowing that okay like they might not necessarily agree with you know mm -hmm. what happened in this game right. but what was best for our team at the time right. or this was best for their role to play for our team yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were times where I was like my bad you know I yeah. own up like I didn't sub someone out soon enough sure. or sure. I didn't get somebody in there fast enough or I should right. change quicker yeah uh, so you learn how you know take a slice of humble pie and right hold up to it but um at the yeah. same time you can't get discouraged and just yeah. be like oh i'm terrible at this like right. no you're gonna have some bad days but yeah oh, gosh you get thrown into that water and, and <laughs> you gotta figure it out really quick yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, t 10 years into being a head coach what are two or three things you do now that you definitely didn't do back then and you could take like practice as an example or halftime of a game or during a timeout anything like that um practice wise i 
think I have more of those light days thrown in and mm-hmm. don't push near as hard. Um, I think early on I felt like every practice they should be walking out of there exhausted. Something should be sore, whether it's shoulders, it's their legs, whatever, um, and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them to challenge themselves physically. Um, I think I've learned a lot over the years that the mental aspect of the game is so much more important than, um, you know, this old school mentality of, like, are they in shape? Can they run? Um, I, some people don't agree with me, but, like, conditioning has to be part of a drill. I'm right. not going to put my ki- kids on the line and run them unless, unless they're really in trouble. You know, it's not going to happen. They know it's a really bad day, you know, if they got to get on the line. But um, everything has to be within the context of the drill. And I didn't start out like that at first. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to run them into the ground by the end of practice. Um, so that's something I think that has changed um, a lot, um, like philosophy-wise, um, is – they need those mental breaks. They need those physical breaks. There are some days of practice that need to be lighter. Uh-huh. Um, other things that have changed, um, I started out that we play man-to-man defense. We fight through screens. That's it. That's the only thing that we do. Um, and to try to mold some of these athletes that I have, I have some kids that soccer is their first sport, lacrosse is their second sport, they right. happen to play basketball. Right. But why am I not working on yeah. that that they have and, you know, playing some sort of zone defense in those sports, why wouldn't that translate that to basketball? Right. Instead of saying that this is my philosophy, I'm not coaching in a Division I college program. I'm not recruiting kids to play the defense that I want. Right. I need to play to their strengths and showcase these kids um, and make them be successful because of the system that we have in place for everybody, not because of something that I want to do. Right. Uh, and I think a really good example of that, um, Bella D'Alessandro, who is graduating this year, um, she was all Ohio guard last year as a junior, and you know numbers even improved senior year. And we played this zone defense with her right up off top. Yeah. Because soccer, she is back yeah. and forth, <laughs> back and forth, and yeah. mid and all over the place. And right. She got her arms in passing lanes, legs in passing lanes, and just would dart yeah. out and get and get layups and I'm like why wouldn't I play to that strike right so we played some zone the last couple seasons because that's what works and now Mm -hmm. I've had some other soccer kids come in and you cannot be so set in your ways and think that you know yes I'm really good at coaching man because I love it and I love playing that and I love helping yeah not every kid's like that. And yeah. you're not going to be able to mold every single player to be what you want them to be. I feel like you guys might be the only place left on earth where kids play more than one sport. Um, at a bigger school like a Mentor or even at a big private like Hoban, um, although we do have some two-sport athletes still and even a couple three, it's not quite as normal as it might be at like Manchester, which is a small community school on the outskirts of Greater Akron where many kids play three sports. Um, are you still fighting the same fight that we fight where a soccer kid might, might want to do indoor in the winter and you have to talk them out? Or do kids just kind of naturally come out because you've built the program? I'm, I'm not going to talk a kid out of playing a sport year-round if that's their decision. If that's where their heart is at and that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. then so be it. Um, would I love to have another program? Absolutely. Do I tell them that? Absolutely. Right. But if you're coming to me having said that, 
you know, this is what I'm passionate about and this is what I'm going to do, then yeah. good. I applaud you and I wish you nothing but the best. Right. Um, one thing that I've really tried to do since I started, even as an assistant, is to be involved in the youth program as much as possible. Right. Um, so coaching, summer camps, doing yeah. fall clinics, yeah. um, some seasons, um, we've gotten our girls involved in coaching um, yeah. at the youth level, yeah. um, and getting to be, you know, face and getting to be somebody familiar with those girls right from the get-go, so it right. seems like family. Yeah. Um, and I feel very blessed that way to be able to live in and teach in the same community that I coach, yeah. because I've known these girls since kindergarten then. Right. Um, and then by the time they come up to your high school program, they yeah. know you, they know what you're about. Right. Um, and I mean, it's one of the comments our players make is that it's like a family. Yeah. And that means the world to me to know yeah. that they feel welcome and they feel like they've been a part of this you know, yeah. since elementary school. Right. Um, so I think that's helpful in keeping players in the program. Yeah. Um, I have um, an athlete right now who um, is incredibly good at soccer and has been playing club soccer. Got a little burnt out from that. Mm -hmm. Is playing club lacrosse now because she's amazing at lacrosse. Right. She continues to come back to basketball. She's like, yeah. Coach, I love it. She's right. like, It's so great. It's so much fun. And then, <laughs> and that's her outlet. And yeah. that's something she wants to do. And so. You know, if she's going to get recruited by a Division One school in one of those sports, like, awesome. Yeah. Like, show up for basketball when you can. Right, right. Summer league when you can. And yeah. good luck at your exposure camp. Right. Um, I, I want them to be happy. Yeah. I want them to be happy. And I think that's kind of a healthy perspective to have being their teacher and not right. just being a coach that's coming into the district. Right. Uh, I understand who they are, like, as a whole person. Right. And what they want to pursue and what they're passionate about and it's not just this singular mindset of well this is the only thing that i do here i right. only coach basketball right. no yeah in the classroom and you know yeah. babysit them or yeah. you know see them when i'm out on a walk or a run sure. and like, you get to know the people here yeah. and you truly care about them and so i think they want to do well and they want to be a part of your program yeah um bigger schools like i get it it's really difficult when you have a larger enrollment right. to be involved or play at the varsity level mm -hmm. um, when it's that much more competitive because you're drawing from so many more kids. Yeah. Um, but even the small schools, like you see enrollment go down because there yeah. is that push to play at the next level. Right. Um, social media and just like yeah. other pursuits gets involved or yeah. working. You know, a lot more kids are, you know, working during the summers to save for college than they are playing sports and playing right. outside. And, right. Um, so you're still fighting these battles, but yeah, um, yeah I, I think getting to know them early on yeah. um, when they're in elementary school, I think that's something that's been really helpful for me. Not necessarily saying, "Hey, I can guarantee you a basketball scholarship." Sure, <laughs> you know, right, um, right. But making it something that's fun and that's an yeah. outlet for them, I think, is yeah. important. Brittany, this is more of a state of the game kind of question. Mm -hmm. um, numbers. In, in your yeah. program right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest changes over the last 20 years that I've coached girls basketball that I've seen. And just to use two examples, you know, Solon uh, traditionally has had one of the best Division One programs in the state of Ohio. Um, very well coached, has a fantastic program in every aspect. They didn't even have a JV team this past year. One of the biggest schools in Ohio. Um, I could argue that Berlin Highland, which is a small Division Four school in Ohio, 
has the overall best program in the last 25 years in Ohio. Um, they don't even have a JV team like Solon. Um, where where are your numbers at Chagrin Falls, and is that something that really concerns you, or have you kind of changed your philosophy about that? Um, it is a concern of mine. We're trying to keep girls as involved as possible. My second or third year of coaching, we only have 18 total girls um, in our program, and it was one of those things. We always practice with JV. Mm-hmm. So we make sure we have enough numbers to scrimmage. Um, but you're kind of holding your breath and you're like, okay, you know, what if someone gets sick? Like, what if somebody gets hurt? You know, right. then what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and there are times where I'm like, oh, I'm getting old, but you kind of suit up and practice. Both for the best. And <laughs> right. Like, for my Achilles. But yeah. um, they, we probably have like 20 to 22 girls most seasons. Okay. And... At a high school, we've got about 600 kids at Chagrin, 9 through 12. Okay. Um, and it's tough to keep them playing. Yeah. Basketball is a long season. Yeah. Long season. It is very skill-oriented. Right. right. Um, it's, not, you don't, it's not like a soccer or lacrosse where you've got some downtime where you don't have the ball. Right. Um, and you're running from spot to spot. It's not like volleyball where the season's a little shorter and yeah. you're moving you know a couple feet on and off the net and i'm right. not trying to knock either of those sports but i right. think finally, yeah. they're very different right and um, you can only play five right <laughs> yeah the next one they want to play five people you yeah. know you don't have 11 on the field yeah. you don't have um constant subbing rotations of people being defensive specialists in volleyball you don't have that right and um that was one of the things the class of 2015, which had um, the Thomes, Kelsey Owen, um, Sarah Hazelton, those were my seniors that year. Um, very, very athletically talented class. Right, right. I probably could have had 10 seniors that year yeah. for basketball. Right. But I can only play five kids at a time. Yeah. So to keep kids in the program, it was really difficult because it's like, well, those girls are going to get the playing time. So what yeah. am I going to do? Right. It becomes really problematic to try to keep kids motivated and that's why you know we try to keep it as fun as possible while still being competitive right um try to make it a place that they want to go every day because yeah. otherwise 22 game season yeah and summer basketball and yeah. conditioning that gets long for them yeah and um you know i know that there are some parents that want me to do more right in the fall or in the spring yeah but then i bring up the point of i have one kid who doesn't do a fall sport right there's two kids that don't do a spring sport. I right. want to encourage them to be multi-sport athletes sure. too and do sure. that free time. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to keep those numbers yeah. up. Yeah. And it's not just that chagrin, like you said. I mean, yeah. these really talented programs right. um, that numbers are starting to drop. And I I don't know what the change has been, if it's um, just a different mentality or there's right. that much more out there to pursue. Yeah. Um, but it's a big problem for the game. Um, yeah. Numbers change like that. Brittany, I'm sorry, Brittany. Do you guys also have a freshman program in addition to that, or is that everybody in your program? I have a freshman team. Okay, so, so everybody is 22 then. The 22, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and, oh, wow. and you field a JV and a varsity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and we have had trouble the last probably five seasons getting enough JV games. Right. Wow. 
Wow. So we're short on JV games <coughs> yeah. much every year, and there are non-conference teams that we end up playing a home and away series with just so we can get enough JV games and get wow. those kids playing yeah. better. Yeah. Um, but I feel like um, the WRC is the only um, conference in our area that has a freshman team, and I feel bad like Mayfield and Chardon, those freshman teams probably play each other six times in a year. <laughs> Right, uh, right. We have not had a freshman team since um, I started at Chagrin. I wow. think the last time they had one was maybe like 2005, 2006 season. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been yeah. a long time. Yeah. Brittany, um, how, you know, you said something that really struck me. How do you keep it competitive because you want to have a great program and there's always that pressure that you have yourself to win? Uh, because you just want excellence and also your parents, your community. I mean, obviously you want to win, but then you said to keep it fun. I, I, I always struggle with that because you get so, um, I don't want to say addicted, but you know you get so focused on wanting to win the next game that then that drives you to want to get a lot out of that practice and keep it very competitive and get after it, but yet you want to have fun and keep athletes involved. Like, How do you reconcile the two? Any tips? Um, I think perspective is something that's really important. Um, when we go through and we design practices, um, we try to switch things up. Um, there's a handful of drills that I always have to like throw in there, and you know, when whether we got to work on defense or shooting or ball handling or whatever, so the girls know what to expect. Um, they like knowing what's coming next. Um, yeah. So sometimes being predictable isn't super terrible, but yeah. um, having something to mix it up. Um, right. There's a couple of competitive drills that we do that yeah. I know they hate. <laughs> um, but then after the fact, once they do it, they're like, okay, you know, that was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do, um, in order to keep it competitive, like one drill that we did um, when I was at Grove City that we do now, the program, um, we call it cutthroat. Yeah. And you just put two minutes on the clock and you spend one minute, just one minute playing defense mm-hmm. as hard as you can. Yeah. And defense gets points um, for steals, so turnovers, yeah. defensive rebounds, that sort of thing. Got it. Offense gets points for scoring, offensive rebounds, and for getting the ball into the paint. Okay. So their purpose is to be able to drive and score or yeah. drive and kick to get a wide-open shot. Yeah. All I ask of them is one minute. Yeah. Okay, then we switch. Yeah. Who plays offense, who plays defense. You right. know, one more minute, then it's that. Yeah. And they get really upset because I don't call fouls. <laughs> I let them play. Right. And they get really fired up. And every time we do that drill, after the fact, I'm like, okay, if you could just do that in a game, right. so one right. minute all out, yeah. I guarantee you you're not going to be playing defense for a minute. Right. You're going to take the ball out of your hands in you know, 15, 20 seconds if right. you're playing hard. Yeah. Um, another one that we do is stop, score, stop. Um, get a stop on defense. Right. On the other end, and we played at full court, yeah. three on three or four on four, and you get yeah. dog tired yeah. playing that drill. Yeah. Um, and I know they don't like it because it's exhausting. Yeah. But if you're the winning team, you yeah. feel great after <laughs> that drill. Right. And so it's one thing, you know, you kind of mix it up, and it's like they're going to have drills that they don't like. Yeah. And if you throw those in on occasion just to keep that competitive edge, right. it's something that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we do for perspective, um, we've worked with um, the organization Empower Sports yeah. um, the last like four or five seasons, um, and it's kids and young adults with different uh, mental and physical handicaps, 
mm-hmm. um, or I should say different abilities yeah. instead. Um, and we go and we play basketball with them at Solon Community Center or um, up at Orange, um, like one like Monday, you know, okay. in December, and right. then maybe go back again in January. Yeah, and to see individuals who love the game right. and are just there because they enjoy it, yeah. I think it renews their sense of joy in yeah. playing basketball um, and seeing that what an impact it can have on people in general. Yeah. Um, and then to be, you know, thankful for the opportunities that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had um, student athletes in the past that have gone on and done internships with Empower, which is great because they found something that they really are passionate about and they care about. Right. And, you know, to be able to do that, like, after practice and go and, you know, see those athletes or take a day off from practice to be able to go up and play with them. Right. Um, I think that's something that's really important that, yeah. you know, this it's a game. Yeah. It should be enjoyable. And right. sometimes we lose sight of that, you know, yeah. when you're pursuing that conference championship. So yeah. you can adjust perspective with drills and practice. You can right. adjust perspective with different team bonding activities. Yeah. Um, I think that's important to renew the sense of fun. Yeah. Your focus and being competitive, and remember your why. Yeah. Why you're doing? It. Yeah, Brittany, I want to stick with practice um, with one more thought. Um, I think the beginning of practice is so important because it kind of sets the tone for the next two hours, and then I think the end of practice is so important because collectively and individually, you're leaving them with a feeling about how the day went as it relates to basketball. Um, 10 years in as a head coach, how do you like to start practice and how do you like to end practice? Um, starting practice, they'll come up out of the locker room and they've got a lot to get out of their system at the end of the school day. Um, So they do some form shooting, they do some free throws, they kind of get that social, you know, aspect out of their system. Um, and then they do an active warm up, um, stretching routine. Some days it's a little more chatty than others, but again, they need that time to kind of get things out of their system. Um, and then we get into our warm-up drills. They're all full-court warm-up drills, and um, we were doing. There was one season we were doing the same drills, this full-court um, Louisville passing drill from Jeff Walls that I got at a coaching clinic, um, just to get them used to shooting, running the floor, looking to advance the ball head, finish layups, and we did that every single day. And then the next season I was like, you know, I just, I don't really know that I like doing the same drill over and over. And I switched it. The girls were like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, we're in Louisville. like why? And they liked having that routine. Mm-hmm. So we've stuck with it because it's still teaching the same fundamentals that we want them to have, right. but it gets their minds right for the rest of practice knowing, okay, now practice has started because these are the drills that we do. Right. Um, so starting out like, High school girls especially, they need time to talk about, you know, whatever drama happened that day, talk about that one test, get a little snack, whatever. So we give them that time after school to get their minds right and get stuff out of the system. Yeah. Ending practice, um, we always end on the line with something called pick-me-ups. And this is another one. um, We did at Grove City. I know other programs do this, but... Um, if we have time, we'll go through the whole team. If we don't, we just pick like sophomores or pick juniors and, um, everybody shoots a free throw. So if it's all the juniors, all the juniors would shoot a free throw. 
first person makes it okay. Second person misses. The third, then it has to make the free throw to pick up that person who missed. So you're learning how to pick up your teammates. Uh-huh. So it's not that they're like, oh, you know, so-and-so missed again. Now we got to run. Right. They have an opportunity to, hey, I got your back. I got this. You know, uh-huh. we're going to do it. And um, it's funny what it's evolved into over the years because um, the class of 2016, I think of Brie Baker in particular, I love her to pieces, they started doing, well, double or nothing. <laughs> so it turns into this thing and it's like, I love the confidence because they want to bet on themselves. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, there's supposed to be a consequence for missing these free throws. And right, right. And she goes, I'll make it blindfolded. <laughs> Everyone's like, what are you doing? And like, no, I can do it. I can do it. And so she takes her headband and she yeah. pulls it down over her eyes. Yeah. And she hits the free throw. And the gym just goes nuts. And it's, <laughs> right. it's nice to have that before right. you bring it in at the yeah. end of practice. Yeah. You... From start to finish, they're supporting one another. Yeah, Beginning right. of practice, they're supporting each other because they're listening. Yeah. Listening how the day went, listening right. what was going on, yeah. uh, wishing each other in a team drill. And the end of practice, they're supporting one another. Right. Uh, it's not the end of the world if someone misses a free throw because somebody's going to pick you up the next play. Right. Um, Brittany, I'm, I'm curious. Do you do anything else unique? Like, do you use your classroom, for instance, for film or team um, gatherings or team meetings, or is there anything else unique to your program um, that those of us who aren't there on a daily basis might not know? Um, we, we've gone away from watching film altogether um, okay. now that with Huddle and everything, yeah. um, there's a little more time for them to have more flexibility. Yeah. Otherwise, that turned into practice being way too long with what yeah. they have going and yeah. I know there are coaches that are going to disagree with me, but um, yeah. we we don't do that all together. There are certain things that we highlight. Um, okay. Scouting reports are still very much a big thing. Um, okay. I like the cerebral part of the game. Right. And like I said my players like to know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, so we still go through and do scouting reports. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny. Um, Coach, I think back to when we played Hoban um, and – one of the things that we talked about in our scout. No, was, you, you want to say when you beat Hoban. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great game, but um, <laughs> for you, for you, it I was. was say, I'm sure yeah. it was. <laughs> so we're going through the scout, and they're like, "Well, coach, which one's the shooter?" I go, "The long blonde ponytail." You know, it's braided. And they're like, "Well, which one?" There's like three of them. I go, "Yeah, they're all shooters." Find <laughs> <laughs> the blonde on the perimeter and close her out. Right, right. So yeah. you know, you can either get really specific, or you can just say, "Yeah, yeah they're all." shoot yeah um, but it's still like to do that because they do like to know what to expect yeah um, yeah and then we do like different team bonding things um and i i know it's going to be different for girls basketball but you know they make their own locker tags together every right. year so right get out all our supplies and yeah um, spend time depending on what practice we do to after eating pizza or right. you know bagels or whatever and they make yeah. their locker tags yeah um and then Chagrin, like, has something that's kind of unique. Um, I don't know that other schools do this, but, you know, the pregame or postgame meals, they call them chow-ups if they're before the game or chow-downs if it's after. Okay. Um, so if there's a big game in particular, the team all gets together and goes to somebody's house for a meal after practice okay. prior to, or um, a chow-down would be, like, with all the family and right. the team right. after the yeah. Um, there's all these different opportunities for them to hang out and get to know each other and right. 
just focus on being together and being right. a team, not right. just the X's and O's. Yeah. Brittany, how do you manage that as far as you're in a small community and everybody's kind of close, and sometimes during a basketball season you have to have a healthy boundary between you and, and, and maybe the parents especially. And, like, I, I did a chow down. I never called it a chow down in my life, but we, we did a, we, we a chow down, like, in 1997 or something like that, and it ended up being a really bad experience for me because three parents wanted to talk about why their kid didn't play more that night. Um, so I never, ever, if there was a chow down, I just kind of went up at the very end and grabbed uh, a hamburger and, and kind of, you know, kept kept a safe distance, but yet a polite a polite distance. Um, as I've gotten older, that's a little bit easier. So we do pregame meals before every game, and usually a parent or two will help, um, you know, with that setup. So so we we do encounter these moments. I'm just curious with you in a small community like that, is that something that's a challenge or an opportunity, or do you like to keep a a, a, a boundary, or do you like to get to know the parents and just be with them all the time? Um, no, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, we have a great community. We have um, great parents, super supportive. But um, those are really difficult situations to put yourself into as a coach. Um, difficult situations to put yourself into as a teacher, even. So, I mean, I live in the community, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But there are times where you have to be careful with what you say and what you do in situations you put yourself into. Um the chow downs or the get togethers after games. Um, parents are really nice. They'll invite the coaching staff, especially, you know, after senior day. And it's something I politely decline. Yeah. Um, I support those kids a thousand percent. I don't need to be in a situation where right. um, there's an opportunity. To <laughs> say, right. Right. Why isn't my yeah. child playing or right. why did you decide to do this in the third quarter? Right. Um, there's a time and a place for that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's not, you know, when you're supposed to be celebrating the athletes. Yeah. Um, the chow downs, the pregame meals. I've had the girls to my house before. Yeah. They come in, they eat, they go out. I mean, yeah. it is <laughs> it is a free-for-all um, yeah. that way. Like, yeah. um, so that's not, you know, yeah. that's not as bad. But, right. Um, right. yeah, there, there are awkward conversations yeah. that yeah. could happen at those get-togethers. I've had sure. awkward conversations as I'm leaving a game or <laughs> um in the grocery store right. and uh, that's something that yeah. comes with the territory and if you're prepared for it right um you know you can be diplomatic and say yeah maybe let, let's talk about this another time right uh, right but right. the goal is just not to yeah. put yourself into yeah, you, you know what you could you could just say hey Campbell's soup is on sale in aisle in aisle five you know you might want to go over there guys it's a two for one I don't want you to miss out I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity Mr. Smith leave my full cart in the middle of the aisle <laughs> Brittany speaking about playing time for you and how you like to coach in a game what's the ideal number of players um, that you like to rotate in and out of a game Ooh, that's a really good question um this goes back to kind of depending upon the personnel that you have. Sure. There are some years where you can go five in, five out and keep them fresh and keep them going. And there are other years where you're lucky if you've got an eight person rotation <laughs> and, you know, like trying to get people a blow here and there um, to make sure that they're well rested. Yeah. Um, there are times where I feel really bad. Like I talked about Bella before, like I played her probably way too many minutes, but that's somebody that we needed out there as a catalyst, and we didn't quite have 
you know, somebody who is ready to fill in that role for an mm-hmm. extended period of time, you know, to get her a solid breather. Right. Um, and, you know, with, like, when the films played, like, that 2015 class, I mean, we were rolling people on and off the floor, like, all game long. Like, and minutes were pretty even in mm-hmm. that regard. Um, yeah. My philosophy, personally, I would love to be able to have, um, you know, 10 that I could roll in and out. Um, I would love to be able to have it be pretty even minutes across the board. But you do have some kids that are basketball kids, even though the majority mm-hmm. of mine are, you know, multi-sport athletes and basketball is their second or third sport. Um, but it just, it really depends upon your personnel and you have to be flexi- flexible, right. I think, with your coaching philosophy in that yeah. regard. Hey, Brittany, have you, have you had a, um, a consistent assistant coach during this uh during your tenure there or have you gone through different people and how how has that helped you with your coaching um i've had a consistent volunteer assistant coach joe monroe um Mm -hmm. who is like family to me um he was an assistant coach with um frank phillips Mm -hmm. when my sister played okay right when i was starting high school um, he took over um, the head girl's job over at Kenston. Okay. And since then had stints at um, Aurora and West G, um, and then John Carroll wow. most recently yeah. uh, coaching at the collegiate level. Yeah. Um, we don't have paid um, assistant coaches um, at Chagrin, so he's been volunteering. and. It's great. It works out with him, you know, with his business and everything. Yeah. Um, having that flexibility, but um, after I'd been coaching for a couple of seasons, um, he reached out to me, and I had known him, you know, since Megan was playing. Yeah. And he's like, I think the time's right to like come back to the chagrin if this is something, you know, you want to sit down and discuss. And right. I did all for it because I mean I knew his body of work and right. just known he's a stand-up guy. Yeah. Um. So jumped at the chance to be able to work with him. So mm-hmm. we've been together for several seasons, and he was um, the Coaches Association Assistant Coach of the Year last year for the wow. state of Ohio. Awesome. And um, I wish he could have a ton more accolades for what he does because um, he's just got this great demeanor with the girls, yeah. and they really respect him. And, right. uh you know, the rapport that he had, um, I think of um, Carolyn Benko, who's graduating this year. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Carolyn had this outstanding working relationship. Right. And um, if we needed something on the floor and I needed my point guard to do something, I mean, it was Joe that was in constant communication with her because yeah. they had this really tight bond and yeah. were able to make things work. Yeah. Um, JV-wise um, has been difficult. Kind of going back to the topic of struggling to have JV teams or freshman teams. Right. Um, it's difficult to get people to coach and commit to a sport that has a long right. season. Right. Um, especially teachers yeah. who the demands in the classroom have increased so much. Yeah. It's really problematic. So yeah. for a while I had um, Allison Heinzen, who's a science and math teacher at the middle school. She was coaching JV for us for several seasons. Right. Um, and then she started a family and, you know, yeah. priority shift and change. And right. she comes to so many of the games and is super supportive of the team. But right. I totally get that her role in life has changed. Yeah. Uh, so it's been difficult to find someone to fill those shoes because she was such a positive role model for the girls. Yeah. Um, we're having a hard time finding someone to fit. But, um, yeah. Mark Ryan Marino stepped in, our head football coach, 
past season, yeah. and I think, fingers crossed, we're able to talk him to come, um, coming yeah. back next year. Okay. But it's nice to have um, somebody that they're familiar with. So yeah. Joe's been around for years, even though he's not in the building. Sure. Uh, he's been a great sounding board for me. He's me level-headed. Yeah. Uh, and then have positive role models that are in our building. Right. Uh, for our JV level as as well. Yeah. Yeah. Brittany, how do you coach a kid who is not as committed and passionate about the game as you are? That it's really tough because each each of those athletes is going to have a different reason why right. that they might be distracted or committed to something else. Um, so your approach is going to be different for each of those players. Um, but it's going to be a lot of patience and a lot of love. And you need to try to get to know that athlete as soon as possible, on as deep a level as possible, to understand what their motivation is, what is their driving factor. And if they're not feeling the sport, okay, well, what's the reason? Is it playing time? I'm not going to promise you playing time. Um, you are outstanding at this role, you have this skill, this is how you're going to help the team. And you don't give them a take it or leave it ultimatum, but you try to frame their role in a way that they can continue to have positive impact and continue to produce for the team and to help them. Um, if it's not playing time, if it's something like they play club soccer and that's something that's a major motivator for them, that might actually be a conversation of, okay, well, if you can't make it to all 22 games of the season, if you feel like you're going to be missing two practices a week, okay, well, if that's your drive and your passion, maybe now, I mean, as much as I want the and committed to the team, then now that you have to have that hard discussion of, okay, look deep down, is this something you want to continue to pursue? Do you want to play? basketball up until college or do you feel like now is the time to lock on to that one sport mm -hmm. you really have to not dismiss the player and think oh they just don't care you right. have to get to know them and figure out what that driving factor is and have those tough conversations and they're not easy they're <laughs> not easy to have and mm -hmm. there might be you know tears from a player or you know, you might get that parent email after the fact yeah. of, you know, what are you talking to my kid about? Right, but, right. Um, I think that shows that you respect them and you're being honest with right. the situation at hand. Yeah. You can't just blow smoke right. because yeah. that's going to yeah. hurt that athlete and that's yeah. going to hurt the team. Yep. Um, you need to figure out what is going on with that student-athlete yeah. and then figure out how that's going to best fit into your team and what piece or what role they're going to play. Yeah. Brittany, I really, uh, you're wise beyond your years um, <laughs> because these, these answers are, are refreshing. Um, in fact, you know, when you said, <laughs> when you said you politely declined going to the after team meals, I can't tell you how much you should tell all of your coaching friends that one, because a lot of people will walk into that, into that trap. Um, and it's nothing, it, like you said, it's a celebration of the student athlete and it's something that they should cherish. And, and, um, there is a nice sense of a healthy boundary. I'll never forget our athletic department used to send out the coaching evaluation the night after your last loss. 
Okay. Whoa. So so when we would lose our last tournament game, they would send out the coaching survey monkey um, to the parents, and I, I I begged and pleaded with them. I said, guys. You have to wait until after the banquet because then I have a chance to make some things right. And the parents will understand that I'm a human being. Um, If the rawness of the emotions you feel after a game, and I've had kids play. My daughter's played basketball at Hoban. um, And even, Scott, before you came, there was other coaches and stuff. And when you lose that last game, emotionally you're going through all kinds of things that you wish your daughter would have done better that you wish would have gone better in general because most people lose it their last game you certainly don't want to get an evaluation done within 24 hours of that emotional rawness until people can step back a couple years ago um i had the ad tell me that a parent wrote a letter like about three hours after the game that basically i should never coach again and i i don't know what i'm doing anymore and then a day after that sent another email can you please delete that email and i i i I shouldn't have sent that you know and now that i reflect on it i i'm sorry for sending that and and actually he's a pretty good coach so there's a lot of wisdom to what you're saying. I hope somebody listens to this and takes that away. But here's my question for you. Sorry about that tangent. Um, no, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, my tangent is, I guess, I'm an AP English teacher and an Honors 10 English teacher. Um, and some kids will say that, gosh, you're different in the gym. Because some of my kids will become managers or they'll play for me. Are, how are you the same and how are you different in your teaching life in the classroom and then in the gym? Or are you exactly the same? Um, I would like to think that I'm the same, but I'm pretty sure if you ask my <laughs> kids, they'd say otherwise. <laughs> um, in the classroom um, and in basketball, I think it's important that my student athletes, my students know that I'm passionate about what I do, um, that I love the content, that I love being there every day, and that I love them. Um, I think that's really important on the court, in the classroom, that they see that every day, whether it's in your actions or what you say to them, um, that they understand and they appreciate that you care. Um, I never want to be that teacher or that coach that mails it in. Like, oh, you know, Tuesday, right. I got to be here. I got to yeah. show up. Like, what do we have to do today? Right. Oh, right. I hate this topic. or. Yeah. I hate coaching this drill, whatever. Like they need to know. Um, And so I hope that shows through. Um, I probably am a little goofier in the classroom than I am at basketball. (laughs) I have my mom where I can goof off and joke around about stuff at practice, but most of the time it's business. Um, And I do, I have some kids that think I'm a pretty strict teacher and um, hold them accountable and, Right. Hold them to deadlines or certain yeah. standard of work. Right. Um, right. But I mean, that's the same in basketball too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I see a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, that's who I am. And yeah. I don't think that we should, as teachers or coaches, put on this mask and put on this front and this expectation of this is what I have to be and this is who I have to be. Right. Um, I think it's important to have. Um, I mean, we talk about having a guard up and not putting yourself in a situation, but I mean, I think it's important to have some sense of transparency and that student athletes see that you have personality and that you're a real person. (laughs) Um, I got the nicest note from um, a parent after this season that I'm going to save forever because I have plenty of things where they go off on some stuff, but um, not this parent in particular, but... um, and it was it was really nice. She 
in like the nicest way possible, like talked about how the girls saw who I really am. Yeah. Um, the good and the bad and just the raw yeah. or the realness or the sensitivity yeah. of, you know, I am sensitive and let them know like, you know, today was not a good day. Right. And I'm honest about, you know, what happened. Right. Um, they see maturity. They see emotion. They yeah. see, um, you know, being able to be silly or being, right. you know, somebody who is a leader. Like, they see all aspects of that. Right. And I think in both the classroom and on the court, there are times and situations for all of those things. Yep. Um, you can't be a robot <laughs> and you can't just walk in and just, be right. devoid of emotion. Um, right. I right. think you need to know and feel the passion that you have for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, this has been one of the hardest things with this online learning stuff. Yep. Um, mm. If I wanted a job where I, <laughs> you know, sat in front of my computer all day, <laughs> Amen. That. if I right. wanted a job where I sat um, in a cubicle and didn't yeah. really talk to people, you know, I'd right. do that. Yeah. Um, relationships mean a lot. And yeah. I don't think you can build those relationships if you're mm. not being real and being honest with yep. um, your students and with your athletes. Absolutely. Brittany, as competitive as you are and as sensitive as you are, um, you're teaching AP, environmental science. You're mm -hmm. also teaching biology, and you're coaching two sports. Um, I think the health and well-being of coaches is so important right now because it's so easy to get burned out. You know, I just took this past year off. It was one of 29 years that I wasn't coaching. Um, and it was good for me mentally, physically, and emotionally, because I just, I thought I needed a break. How do you stay healthy and not get burned out? <laughs> um, it is helpful having my fall season not coaching um, and being able to ease into the school year. I can be focused on what I want to do in the classroom and set up kind of how I want the year to run and expectations. Um, so I know fall sports coaches don't have that luxury, but I think that's something that's been very beneficial for me is to kind of get things lined up and flowing as best I can um, prior to going into the season. Um, mm -hmm. That also gives me time for things I love. I love football absolutely love it so i can go to high school games on friday nights i can watch game day on saturdays <laughs> i can watch the browns on sundays right um the browns you know a little better but still driving <laughs> up. It's not a good mental health right, right. i was gonna say um, <laughs> but um that's something that's been helpful um during the season um it's it's been rough our conference originally we flip-flopped with the boys with how our game structures were set up so the first half of the season would be Tuesday, Friday, and the last half would be Wednesday, Saturday, and the boys, like, vice versa. Um, and in the last couple of years, we switched. So girls are Wednesday, Saturday the whole time, uh -huh. which scheduling-wise makes things easier, but that's six days a week you're with your kids. Right. Exactly. Or if you have a Monday game, like, I don't bring my kids in on Sunday. Yeah. They need a day. Yeah. Not every coach feels that way, but we don't come in on Sundays, and that's a day for family, day for us. Right. But, you know, if you have a snow day and you've got a Monday game, I mean, yeah. you've got to come in and work out. Right. Um, so trying to find breaks um, 
where there is a mental health day, where there's a day off, where there's a shorter practice or just a shooting workout during season, right. do that as best you can. Yeah. Um, I rely heavily on my family and my friends. Um, I don't see my friends near as much during basketball season. Um, the running joke is that there's school Brittany, basketball Brittany, and <laughs> Brittany. And basketball Brittany's their least favorite because <laughs> right. I'm not out and I'm not, you yep. know, running around and I'm super focused and going yeah. to bed early. And, right. Um, so trying to find those days in there, I think that's yeah. important for mental health. Um, I work out all the time. I'm up at 4.15 and getting my workout in before school starts. Wow. And that's something that's been – um, really helpful for me to get my mind right because my body, mm-hmm. you know, is going and ready to start the day and trying to mm-hmm. stay healthy that way. Um, and then by the time spring rolls around, the weather improves, hopefully, right. And, right. and being outside. And that's why track has been such a saving grace for me um, because right. it is a different pace from basketball. Yeah. But being outdoors and, you know, getting into the sunshine, I think that's yeah. something that's helpful. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not like – there's not this be all end all answer that's going to benefit every coach or every teacher that works for them. Right. Um, but I think you have to find what works for you and yeah. acknowledge when you need that day. Yeah. Um, otherwise the winter season is yeah. long. <laughs> and, yeah, it uh, is. You're trying to figure out like, okay, like how am I going to get stuff done? Are you looking right. in the refrigerator? You have no groceries. <laughs> right. Right. When did this happen? You know, yeah. um, You've got to have those times to pause, whether it's, you know, 10 minutes to take right. yourself or you, you know, give your team a day off. Yep. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's going to vary from person to person, but I think mm-hmm. I've been really trying the last couple of years to do a better job of this work-life balance. Right. Because otherwise it's yeah. going to sweep you away and yep. um, yeah, it it's is. really tough. And yeah. It's I all... had some, yeah, some parents that like, they look at me and they're like, well, you don't have a family, so, like, I don't understand why you're not responding to your email at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get it. Like, I don't have some of the same responsibilities and requirements as people, but I yeah. still have my priorities. And right, right. And that is my health. Yeah. And yeah. you can't keep working at that pace and right. be everything to everyone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're empty. You yeah. know, you got to recharge and yeah. have some time to yourself. Right. Brittany, um, I'm curious, do you ever see yourself as a college basketball coach or are you, is your heart more in um, the teaching, coaching classroom of a high school? Um, do you see yourself in for the long haul or do you want to take a break and come back? Or what, what, you know, I know it's one day at a time, but I'm just curious what your coaching dreams are. Um, I get this question more than I think I would because I'm like, wow, okay, it's going to be a big change. Um, there were times where I thought, yeah, that is something I would want to pursue Yeah. Um, at maybe a Division three level. Um, you know, yeah. if I had started right out of college and, you know, been at grad assistant somewhere, I think the answer would be different. But right, right. Um, the more and more I think about that question, yeah. um, the more I want to stay where I'm at. Right. Um, and I understand that people aspire, you know, for more or aspire yeah. for yeah. Um, having their own program and having, again, the ability to recruit the kids that you want and run right. the program that you want. Right. But um, I think I'm really spoiled and there's something special about 
being in a place where I get to know them from the time they're five years old mm-hmm. and then get to, you know, coach them up right. um, when they get right. to the high school level. Right. Um, I feel really spoiled. I feel very fortunate to have that opportunity that not many people have. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I think I would like to continue to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think coaching college, it'd be so tough to give up the classroom teaching. Yeah. I'm a teacher first. Yeah. I like coaching, but I'm a teacher right. first. Right. And I can't see myself giving up that content. Right. Um, getting to know those students. Yeah. Just do basketball full time. Sure. Um, love basketball, but, um, yeah. you know, that's not. Um, yeah. I totally, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, I've always been afraid of giving up that classroom relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. so much. There's so much that we get from it that people don't understand. We give a lot, but we also get back a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Brittany, I think one of the coolest and smartest things that the NBA has done over the last few years is start to hire women on their coaching staffs. Would you ever? <laughs> or does the idea of coaching? boys um interest you oh absolutely i think that's really intriguing um in track i get to coach the boys because it's co-ed and um coaching throwers you have both and it's one of those things where they look at this you know girl standing in front of them like oh you're gonna explain to me how to throw you know a 12 pound shot put like are you kidding me (laughs) but um it's technique and basketball I mean there are so many different factors and nuances that go into the game uh-huh. um, that different people see and right. your perspective on the game is going to be different from somebody else and they're going to see something that you hadn't even considered and it doesn't matter if you're male or female like right it's it's, a, it's still the game the, mm-hmm. the skills are still there yeah um, and the different plays are still there and um the drills and the fundamentals and um I think it's really intriguing. Um, I mean, men coach women all the time. I don't want to exactly. understand why you know, you know that other right. direction. Right. And um, I love the interviews that, like, um, Kevin Love has done in talking about Lindsay Gottlieb. Um, I just think that's so eye-opening. Or to see, like, just the pictures that are posted on Instagram or Twitter, mm-hmm. of different players and their interactions with her. I mean, she's a coach. It doesn't matter, you know, what her background was or, you know, who she had coached before then. Um, it's still a game. And yeah. I think that um, women have a lot to offer the game. Um, and we can't be, like, closed-minded in um, what perspective, you know, they have. And no matter what, people are going to be right or wrong and they're going to make decisions, you know, in coaching that, oh, you know, maybe I should have done this. But, right. like, that's everybody. That's yeah. across the board. Um, so, I, I mean, I love I love my program. I'm not. I love what Dave Barger does. I'm not saying I'm going after him. Right. <laughs> um, but I would love to see more of that. You know, right. even opportunities to yeah coach in summer league or right. open right. gym. Sure. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, because you also learn from your players. Yeah. So to see how they view the game, then too. Um, yeah help me to learn as a coach yeah Brittany as we wrap up I have a couple last questions for you but one one is about your rivals and this um, theme going on this trend going on in high school basketball where even on the boys side um, we are not getting the crowds that we used to have 10 20 years ago and I'm curious at a small school sometimes those small schools will will actually um, 
support their teams a little bit more than maybe the big suburban schools will. So A, who's your rival? Um, B, how are the crowds, or is that a trend in girls basketball you're seeing too? And then um, in any tournament runs that you guys have had in the last 10 years that you want to speak of? Um, a lot of the rivalries around the area, I think, are changing because the conferences have changed so much and so fast. Right. Um, I feel like in high school basketball, the conferences have gone from being geographic uh-huh. to being um, – what socioeconomic um, right. status schools have or right. the size of the school or, um, yeah. I don't know, different handshake agreements. Sure. Um, I'm probably going to end up biting my tongue about this, but, I mean, the Chagrin Valley Conference right now is 22 schools. Wow. Holy we cow. Four, we have four divisions. Okay. And if you look at it historically, because I'm, you know, I'm a big nerd when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I could name – the four different conferences that have formed now, you know, what the Chagrin Valley Conference is. Right. Um, And you're thinking, you know, what happened? Um, Yeah. Because you had these schools that were nice and close together. And, um, you know, when people talk about the old CDC, I'm I'm thinking back, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when it was still, like, Solon and Twinsburg and Chardon, not, you know, just five years ago, like six years ago, when Kenston and Aurora were still in it. So, um it's really difficult, I think, in high school sports to continue to have those rivalries if the landscape of the conferences are constantly changing. Right. And we're seeing it, like, CDC, it's already happened. Southwest yeah. Conference is starting to happen. NCL yeah. is, you know, breaking up. So even yeah. in your Catholic schools, you're seeing that it's very different. Right. Um, so I think sometimes, unfortunately, I think sometimes adults get in the way of yeah. keeping those healthy rivalries going. Yeah. Um, for girls basketball, um, I mean, I would say ours is still pretty geographic. Um, we have really tough games against West Geauga and against Orange because they're okay. right down the road from us. Okay. Um, it had been Perry in the past, um, okay. and that's a trek for us to get to, but right. um, it's they really support their girls' uh, basketball program, much like Chagrin has, and yeah. so they've been really competitive. But okay. um yeah, those those rivalries are going away, and Kenson's like five minutes down the road, and they're not in the same conference as us anymore. Right, and it's sad to see that dying out. Yeah. Um, it's like my family, like Kenson comes up, and we still go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and now the kids are like, oh, I'm friends with all the kids from the right. school. And like, no, like this yeah. is supposed to be a rivalry, but yeah. um, so that stuff has changed, but um. With girls basketball, the landscape really changes based on who's on what team, what team, and um, okay. you know who's competitive that particular year. Because otherwise, sometimes it can end up being a blowout. Right. Um, Attendance-wise, we've been trying to bring back what we call the zoo, our yeah. student section. Yeah. Trying to promote that as much as possible. Right. Across all the sports, each team picks one zoo game. Okay. Um, to really promote with the student body and get people um, to attend. Yeah. Um, we do um, Gurney Night, that's our pre-K through 3 building, okay. um, encourage them to come to games to try to increase attendance, but um, geographically, when your conference starts to get so spread out, that mm-hmm. attendance goes out, and I know football really saw that this past year, because in order to compete against schools that are in the same division as them, they're having to drive farther and farther right. um, to compete. And you know, yeah. even though that's Friday night, that's still a long distance to ask a high school kid. 
um, yeah. go to a game. Right. Um, well, the third part of your question, <laughs> um, I know it's about rivalries. So no, no, that's thank you. Um, Brittany, I was just curious if you guys made any interesting tournament runs to speak of, um, because oh, I'm sorry I haven't followed, but we're up here in Akron, and I'm coaching during the season. I don't get to follow everybody. No, no, it's all good. Um, no, we we had our strongest um, runs thus far um, when we had the um, Thelms and Kelsey Owen and Sarah Hazleton all in that class of mm-hmm. 2015. Yeah. Um, we made it to regionals wow. in 2013 and 2015. That's cool, um, yeah. And lost the first time to Halfway Brown, who went okay. on to win a state championship. Okay. Um, and then to West Branch in 2015. Okay. Um, West Branch, that program, Walter Shields does a phenomenal job. Yeah, he does. Um, We've gone, last year we went to districts, um, we, or I guess the season before, um, we had to play at um, East Tech in wow. order to get to the district and play against Laurel, okay. and that game, that was such a great experience for our kids because yeah. our record was not great going into tournament, right. and we just started to rattle off games, and um, so it speaks volumes to um them not wanting it to be over right. and really pushing themselves at <laughs> yeah. you know, first time in the season. Um, this past year, we lost um, to Laurel in um, sectional finals. Very talented young right. group. We had like six or seven freshmen come in um, last year, so that was tough. But Pete right. um, right. did a game going into that. Um, our mm-hmm. our district's really tough. Um, we're Division Two. Okay. Um, we're on the smaller end of Division Two, and geographically, right. how the districts are drawn up, mm-hmm. we're not going with our conference mm-hmm. with um, like Westie and Perry out to Asheville Lakeside. Right. We go south to Nordonia. Yeah. And it's a lot of you know storied programs yeah. um, and some private schools in particular that have been tough for us, like yeah. Laurel and um, Beaumont and yeah. St. Vincent St. Mary. So, um, you know, you're playing against basketball school yeah i'm surprised you guys aren't a three you guys have to be close to being d3 i would imagine we're really close yeah um our senior class that's graduating this year is one of the biggest that we've had um in recent years and it's 187 kids okay which somebody else are probably like a huge but yeah um for us um or or that's small i guess depending on perspective but for us that's a really big class to have okay and uh, I don't know. Like it's funny when I took the job here, Coach Phillips. I asked him if he had any advice, and he goes, "Yeah, move back down to D three." <laughs> in addition to my entire coaching career, yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's tough, but um, you know, it's it's good that it's that competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think it's a good thing for the sport. Um, right. That you have those tough games, but yeah. Um, hopefully, I mean, we graduate seven seniors. Yeah. This year, so um. Hopefully our junior class will be able to step it up next year. Yeah. Yeah, Brittany, TK's coached uh, his entire career in a private school. Uh, I coached about half my career in a public school at Wadsworth and then the last decade at Hoban. Um, So I'm going to ask you a tough question. Um, You know, you are a public school coach who gets to know these kids when they're in second grade, develops a relationship, builds a program the right way and then you go to a district that has three or sometimes four of the best private schools in northeast ohio maybe the toughest division two district in all of ohio um 
how do you deal with that as a coach? Just um, the, I guess, the inequity of it. Um, do you just grit your teeth and say that's the way it is? Would you like to see it changed? Um, what's your opinion on it? Um, the thing I tell my players is that nobody cares work harder. Right. <laughs> no one cares what you're dealing with. No one cares that right. um, you know they have the best freshman class in the state. No one cares that um, they've won you know four regional championships and you haven't won any. Like, no one cares. Right. Um, you just have to work harder to prove that you're going to play your best game of basketball. You're going to do your best. And on any given night, anything can happen. Right. I mean, they know, they know about, um, you know, kids that are coming in from different places or driving how many miles to go attend this different school in the public school. Right? They know. Yeah. There's no point in me as a coach addressing that and saying, like, Oh right. yeah, like this is a horrible thing. Right. Our reality is we still have to compete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No point in me complaining or whining yeah. about or saying something's not fair because right. if it weren't fair, it would already be changed by OHSAA. Yeah. So if there hasn't been any sort of change made, then you kind of yeah. suck it up and you deal with it. And right. um, you know, as far as me wanting to see a change, um, you know, even public schools have open enrollment. Right. I mean, with public schools that sure. four out of their five starters yeah right the district yeah so then you're going to have to start start compare like complaining about that so you yeah. can't do this comparison game of right so and so has this and so and so has that like right you can still win yeah and if I start to acknowledge and feed into any of that mm-hmm. that shows that I'm not confident in my players right I love right. my kids. Yeah. I would take my crew, my squad over anybody any day. Yeah. Down. And I make sure that they know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the group that I want to win with, and that's the group I want to go in. Yeah. Um, with, and, um, you know, I'll fight for them in the, as the day is long, but completely yeah. not going to get anywhere. Absolutely. No, no, one, cares. no Absolutely. one cares about your hardships. You just got to work harder to prove yourself. Yep. Oh, I love your answer. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, um, so much wisdom there. I just want to wrap up. You, you know, you mentioned early on when you grew up, you played for a couple, a couple coaches um, who kind of uh, had the style where they, they they let you play a little bit. Um, I don't think it was the Lammies. I think it was somebody you mentioned before that. But they, they kind of had a free flowing type of uh, persona in coaching. And I'm just curious, what is your preferred offensive style? Uh, as a basketball coach as we wrap this up I know we're going to get into a basketball thing and we only have a couple minutes up but I'm just curious did you carry that over or do you like to just experiment each year with 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 new things or what's your go-to style offensively um you have to have a couple of quick hitters you have to have a couple of plays that you know you can score on mm-hmm. um but I really love an open motion offense yeah um I mean I played a uh, post or center during my career, but yeah. like I was short, like I'm five eleven, like yeah. at the college level, that's like nothing. Right. Um, so I like to have that flexibility to be able to bring people out on the perimeter. Yeah. Um, and if you want to cut to the basket, you want to post up, then post up a thousand one. You don't get the ball, you get out of there and clear out for someone else. Right. I like giving them that freedom and flexibility in offense. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of things, though, there's a lot of teaching that has to go into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you going to curl off the screen? Are you going yeah. to pop or reject the screen? Is it going to be a flare screen? You have to learn how to read the defense and right. read those situations. 
Yep. Um, so motion's ideal, but girls yeah. basketball, you're seeing a lot of people go to zone defenses. Right. Um, so that really changes kind of the style of play. But right. I would much rather score on a fast break or yeah. score in motion um, than anything. Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Scott, do you have one more? I'm going to wrap it up. Well, Brittany, I just want to say thank you. Um, from afar and then getting to coach against you, I've always had so much admiration for you because I think you are so good for kids in the classroom and on the court. And when I think of you, I just think of, boy, if I had a daughter, I'd want you to coach her because of the type of role model you are. So my encouragement to you is just keep doing what you're doing because you're making an unbelievable difference. So thank yeah. you. That means so much. Seriously, that means a lot to me. A ton of respect for you and you know, what you guys do. Um, it's, I know we don't know each other super well, Scott, but you know the interactions that we've had over the years, like it truly means a lot and you're well respected um, in the community. And I really appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk with you guys today. Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. you. Um, Brittany, it's been a pleasure um, not knowing you before this interview. I feel like I know you now, but I, I, I go back to what you said about being competitive, but also being sensitive. And I, I think those are two attributes that the best coaches have. Um, even when you think of guys or on the women's side, um, gentlemen and ladies, I think they always have that mixture of competitiveness and sensitivity. I think of Muffet McGraw. Um, I know Pat, Pat Summit wasn't sensitive to most people, but one of my best friends uh, recently in the last 10 years or so played for her. And actually, Pat even had a sensitive side, believe it or not. But even Coach K, the players that really get to know him off the court, you know, he's competitive as can be. But he is a pretty sensitive guy, and uh, if you've seen the right interviews, you might sense that. So your spirit of competitiveness um, but and sensitivity, that mixture, um, in addition to the fact that you're, re you're really the prototypical teacher-coach. I mean, you're not, you're not teaching um, you know, driver's training or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with people who teach driver's training. I mean, you're in the AP science classroom, and then you're going out to the court, and you're a great role model for the young ladies that you encounter. Somebody who gets up at 4:15 to work out. I think I get up at 4:15 to go to the bathroom, um, and then and then go back to bed. But uh, guys, somebody who's so disciplined in her in her own personal life, but also wise beyond her years. Um, the fact that you get to come back to your high school and be a part of the community. I did that as well at Archbishop Hope, and I've kind of lived my whole life there, and I've I've grown up two or three times there because each each year I feel like. It's a new horizon and a new way to mature, and I think hopefully you sense some of that too, in even in your decade. Um, but I want you to keep doing what you're doing. Never give up on it because you are such an important part of that community, but uh, the, the girls' basketball community at large, and then the academic community as well. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I don't. I, I, I was going to say we're proud of you, but we we have no ownership of this. But we're we're proud of you anyways, even though we. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we have no ownership other than the fact that we're coaches ourselves who are close to like our 27th, you know, almost 30 years. Um, Brittany Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, is a true teacher coach. Thank you very much for listening to the Teacher Coach Podcast.